The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but put tough days like this in context. So call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, there's nothing like a good banking crisis to bring this whole market to its knees. doesn't matter how big or how small, or even if it's already been widely predicted when it comes to fruition. Everyone's shocked, and the market gets clocked. And that's why the Dow tumbled 345 points today. S&P plunged 1.58%, and the Nasdaq plummeted 1.98%, despite a parade of terrific earnings away from this financial morass. No matter. Last night, First Republic, the San Francisco bank that looks a lot like the failed Silicon Valley bank, reported one of the ugliest quarters I've ever seen. Then followed up with a conference call so dispiriting, dispiriting, management didn't even bother to take any questions. After CEO Michael Ruffler closed by saying, quote, we are grateful for the continued support and thank everyone for joining today's call, end quote. The operator broke in. This concludes today's call and thank you for participation. You may now disconnect. Huh? You just announced that you lost more than half of your deposits, the kind of run no bank has ever survived. You tell us you've borrowed billions from other banks in order to stabilize things, and that money it might be vaporized, but then you don't take any questions? Believe me, we aren't supporting. We are collectively disconnecting. Maybe it's because I just came back from Dallas, where Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, talked about the greatness of Don Meredith, Dandy Don, the legendary Monday night football announcer. I found myself singing, turn out the lights. The party's over. Yep, there's no coming back from that glib from those huge losses and the anomalous thank you for your support. I mean, that's the kind of oblivious repartee that I haven't heard since the collapse of the most egregious subprime entities during the financial crisis. However, there's one big difference between now and 2008. This time, there is no systemic contagion. Now, I know that seems hard to believe, but there isn't. It's a miserable moment for First Republic, 
once a bank beloved by the rich and famous. But it's an all-clear event for everyone else. You see, these guys were supposed to use the tens of billions of dollars in deposits they got from other banks to buy time to restructure. Maybe lure in a deep-pocketed savior. Maybe get a lifeline from someone who's coveted what's left of their well-heeled deposit base. Maybe sell off parts of their bank and go to the FDIC for help. Maybe find some Warren Buffett, a new Warren Buffett, any Warren Buffett. But from the looks of things, they passed in the moment of largesse, the kindness of stranger banks. I couldn't figure out if it was hubris or stupidity or maybe both. In the end, it didn't matter, though. Everyone thought the March mini-banking crisis was over, so there's no way the market could handle the implications of First Republic's most likely collapse. So people sold the good with the bad today. It was an amazing session because the vast majority of companies that reported put up really good numbers. And if not for First Republic, their stocks would have been roaring. I'm sure many a CEO went home very confused tonight. I mean, this was an impact of a quarter derailed because of First Republic. I think it's important to put First Republic in some sort of uh, – let's put it in context. If you go back to the original crisis when Silicon Valley Bank practically vanished overnight – First Republic faced a very similar financial bind. Everybody assumed that they would be the next to go under. But these guys got this lifeline in the form of $30 billion worth of deposits from a posse of major banks that wanted to stem the bleeding. They didn't want any more bank failures. It's just too brutal for the whole industry. Turns out that the lifeline, though, wasn't enough because there was no reason to stay as a customer of First Republic if you didn't want to. They couldn't lock those people up, and they're the ones who mattered. Sure, the bank was known for its quality service, its willingness to loan against hard-to-value items, unfortunately, like pre-IPO stock. But that didn't keep the depositors from running. Rich people don't want to risk losing their uninsured deposits in a bank run. No no amount of white glove treatment can change that even as they do love the attention and adoration. You just, well, sadly for First Republic, you can't take that to the bank. Still, earlier this morning, we had a mostly positive parade of earnings, and I don't want to dismiss that. I couldn't believe how good PepsiCo was. General Electric, amazing. Raytheon showed us that aerospace is on fire. McDonald's, it blew away the numbers and the same store projections. Gigantic health insurer Centene executed beautifully, lifting a group that had been quite soggy of late. Pulte Homes, amazing quarter, much better than the numbers they were putting up when interest rates were much lower. Even they seemed astounded by the level of demand for new homes. You got a genuine housing crisis in this, in this country with a shortage. We don't have a lot of sellers because they lose their low-interest mortgages if they did. And the homeowners don't have the zoning laws going their way. They hinder development around the country, which pushes prices higher. We need millions of new homes to meet the real demand out there. Totally counterintuitive that we could have a bull market in housing when the Fed's hitting us with a string of aggressive rate hikes, huh? But it's staring us right in the face. Unfortunately, it also hurts because higher housing prices also mean higher rents. Fed's desperate to lower the cost of rent. They also want to push back against the higher wages that so many companies need to pay in order to keep their operations going, and I heard that all day. As long as we have wage inflation and house inflation, Fed's going to keep tightening. I didn't hear anything in the last 24 hours that would stay the Fed's hand at a quarter point, except for one thing, and that was First Republic. See, when you get a sizable bank out there flailing, it is a reminder that we could have a powerful counterintuitive force to all the inflation I just mentioned, the deflationary anvil of a bank failure. The Fed can basically let struggling regional banks do the work for them, cutting back on lending to anyone and everyone because they desperately need cash. So instead of hearing a host of companies saying there's no slowdown, business is terrific, but there's inflation, all we heard was the possibility of a chain reaction from a now pretty small San Francisco bank losing its lifeline. 
Now, of course, in March, we thought the Fed was done tightening when Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, and then the economy just started roaring again like a fire that refuses to die. I doubt the crisis at First Republic can douse the darn thing again. It's just not big enough. Only a severe slowdown in lending across the country from regional banks might keep companies from expanding instead of contracting the way 3M did today when it laid off 6,000 people. But that was one of the few mass ping slips out there. Let's just say if the party's really over First Republic, you'll see some very big companies report some excellent numbers away from them. And Wall Street might yawn at those, but you can't. You should be thinking about buying. We just got some tremendous results today for the close. Alphabet had a top-line beat and a huge beat bottom with better-than-expected profitability in every segment, especially its cloud business. I mean, that had been a huge loser. Microsoft looked really good at top-line growth accelerated back into double digits thanks to sales that beats in all, all, all segments. Remember, though, with Microsoft, you have to be careful because we don't have the complete forecast, and that's what matters. But how about this? How about Chipotle? Chipotle screaming higher in after-hours trading thanks to a blowout that included better-than-expected 10% comps. Only nine was expected, really we were looking for, and more than $10 in earnings per share. Less than nine was expected. I've been telling you this stock's headed for $2,000. How many nights out here? Well, we're a heck of a lot closer, and I think we're going to get there. Well, all three stocks jumped in after hours trading. It might not matter, though, to tomorrow's action, given the obsessive focus on this broken darn thing. Bottom line, as we know from March, this too shall pass. And if you bought when it passed last time, well, guess what? You made a ton of money. Carrie in Texas. Carrie. Hi, Jim. Hope Carrie, you enjoyed what's your up? Visit to well, I hope you enjoyed your visit to Texas. I live in the Frisco it. area where you were. Oh, my. Frisco's gorgeous. I went to the little town beside from Jerry World, and I loved it, too. How can I help you? Well, I'm needing to diversify my personal portfolio some, and Costco is my go-to retail stock. However, the case for Foot Locker is strong as well. With brick-and-mortar retailers like Bed Bath & Beyond cratering, it makes me even more cautious to branch out, though. I'd love to know your thoughts on growing a position in Costco versus Foot Locker. Okay, Costco's best in show. There's no doubt about that. So I'm always going to say buy Costco. Uh, my ba- basis for liking Foot Locker for the charitable trust is Mary Dillon. It's a bet on Mary Dillon. So it's the company Costco, the person Mary Dillon. You have to go to Costco, the institution, but Mary Dillon is going to make this one big. Let's go to Fest Tim in Connecticut. Fest Tim. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Not bad. How about you? Good. Um, so I was wondering um, about health beauty and uh, where that's heading. Elf Beauty is sensational. Uh, it, it, there's just no doubt about it. The fact that when this stock goes down, Tarangamin has been a friend of the show forever when the stock was in the teens. And I'm not backing away. If you can get that under 90, it would really be terrific. How about Olani in Hawaii? Olani. Aloha, Jim from Hawaii. Love you drinking that spam juice and squawk on the street with Carl and David. Well, you know, that spam juice worked well for me when I lived in my car. I don't know. I've kind of upgraded my game since then, but I appreciate the (laughs) recollection. How can I help? Given Wells Fargo's earning, is it a buy here? And then what's your thoughts on that $5 billion infusion to First Republic? Well, I'll tell you, yes, I'm talking to my Ohana here. Okay, so here's the deal with the Wells Fargo. They had an amazing quarter. They have the capital. I believe there's going to be a haircut. They're going to get a lot of that money back. I ultimately believe that, but I understand that if a big bank goes down like this, you're not going to be able to get your whole five bill back unless the Treasury guarantees it. I haven't heard them do that yet. Let's go to Brendan in Michigan. Brendan. Booyah, Jimbo. How's it going? Oh, man, it's a long, darn day. How about you? 
Doing well, my friend. Hey, my girlfriend and I are fresh out of college. She just started at the hospital as a nurse. She came home with five or six pairs of these big scrubs. She loves them. What's your take on the stock? Well, I think the problem here is is that uh, it, it's it's got to start making a lot of money. It's kind of breaking even. And until it does that, this apparel business, as much as you're absolutely right, you're right to look at how they're doing uh, in one-on-one, anecdotally. Together, empirically, it's just not doing well enough. But it's certainly a good spec because it has found a way to make money, and it does matter. All right, as we know from March, this too shall pass. Because we know that if you bought like high-quality companies like maybe Microsoft, like maybe Alphabet, and didn't just walk away last time, you made very good money. On Mad Tonight, after cruising higher after earnings, Whirlpool found itself in the doghouse today. Hey, what's behind the stock's follow action? Not easy to figure out, so let's talk to the CEO. And Palo Alto Networks can help defend your enterprise from cyber threats, but can it help defend your portfolio? We need to take a step back and learn about the larger, larger issue of artificial intelligence and your security. Don't miss my exclusive for the company's top brass. Yesterday, we had a chance to sit down with Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, and there was too much to talk about when it comes to leadership and business for me not to put it on tonight. So we're airing the second part of our interview with the Texas and American legend. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. a conundrum here. What happens when an iconic American company reports much better than feared numbers, but then leaves its four-year forecast unchanged? 
In this market, the stock gets punished. Just look at one of my favorite companies for many years, Whirlpool. Last night, the home appliance kingpin reported a 51-cent earnings beat off a $2.15 basis, much higher than expected, even as the ongoing earnings were cut in half versus a year ago. On the conference call, Whirlpool talked about some early signs of a strong housing market and how their costs seemed to peak in the second half of last year, meaning the margins should expand nicely going forward. But because there's so much uncertainty out there, Whirlpool left its full-year forecast unchanged. When you report a big earnings beat without raising the forecast on Wall Street, well, that's viewed as a guide down. So even though the stock opened higher this morning, it gave up the gains. It ended up down nearly 6%. we got to find out what the hell is going on here. Maybe Wall Street's got it wrong. What if management's just merely being conservative with its forecast? This stock now sells for less than eight times earnings, 5.3% yield. Even as the margins are going in the right direction, the new housing market, I think, remains shockingly strong. But don't take it from me. Let's check him in with Mark Bitzer. He's the chairman and CEO of Whirlpool to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Bitzer, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, Jim, thanks for having me back. Okay, I admit, I admit, Mark, I, I read the numbers without looking at how the stock was doing. And I said, this is a win because a lot of things are going in your direction. And plus, I like the Insincorator, which is such a good acquisition. What do you think happened today? I know you're not a stock guy. You're an appliance guy. But is, is there some miscommunication between Wall Street and the numbers you reported? Well, Jim, I guess it's one of these days where you just got to shrug it off. I mean, overall, as you heard um, in our earnings call and also in our press release, we feel actually good how we started the year. You know, um, particularly on a sequential base, we picked up 200 points of margin, 400 points of base points of margin in North America. We picked up market share. We feel good about the start of the year and, and also in the full year. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of these days where you may good news may not always translate in an in a intraday share price increase. Well, let me uh, put it right back at you using your words. I, you stunned me. You talked about improved 420 basis points. I'm all excited. I'm really revved up. And then right next, two paragraphs. We continue to expect the promotional environment. Wait a second. Promotional environment? You're dominating. You're taking share. Your margins are expanding. I don't know. If this is promotional, well, count me in. <laughs> yes, I mean, Jim, what we basically said is we expect the promotion environment to be stable, um, stable compared to the back half of 2022. So nothing surprising. You know, the U.S. market is always one where you need to incentivize sometimes a consumer with some percentages off. That's nothing new. People compared to 21, where we basically had a complete absence of promotion. So what we see around us um, is what I would call a normal environment. We know how to win in this environment. We have innovative new products. And we felt really good about the both the sequential and year-over-year share gains. And we continue to expect further share gains as the year progresses. All right. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me push back again. Europe, all right? I was hoping that you would sell Europe, make a huge amount of money, buy back a ton of stock, and we live happily ever after. Instead, Europe's got a very complicated, uh, let's say, a resolution to it. You buy Insincorator, a good idea, but it's cost money, and now you're buying or maybe trying to trim debt. So we got a new story than what I saw a year ago. Yeah, I mean, remember, Jim, you had me on the show exactly a year ago. Um, and by the way, your speculation about what we would be doing with Europe were directionally correct. So we, what we feel is a very value-creating solution for Europe, which we announced in January. Um, we are, of course, right now going for the regulatory approvals in Europe, and we expect to close that sometime in the second half of this year. That on its own will create about 750 million net present value for Whirlpool Corporation. So we think it's the most value-creating opportunity which we had around Europe. 
At the same time, we added Integrator. Integrator is an incredibly strong business. We just announced that we launched a major new product, actually the biggest product launch in more than 10 years, and that would be structural strength to our, uh, to our North America business. All right, explain to me how your business does work in the nitty-gritty. We, had a couple, we have about five giant home builders in this country, and all of them are doing great. They all, I mean, everybody wants to sit greater. Everybody wants Whirlpool. Can you offer a package deal? Can you say, listen, we now have a suite of product that's unbeatable, and it will cost you X, and you make a lot of money, and also the home builders make a lot of money? You know, Jim, I mean, we have been making a, a big bet on the U.S. home builders actually for the last couple of years. Right. And we feel really good about the share gains we have there. Um, the home builders, we're kind of among, we have seven of the top 10 home builders are where we have long term contracts. We think we have a best solution from a brand perspective, from a product perspective, from a delivery system, because you've got to keep in mind, you've got to deliver on time to the construction side, which not everybody can do. So we feel very good and we made major inroads. Now, does that yet help us in Q1? No, because the housing market is still somewhat soft, but as you pointed out, much stronger than most people expected. So we do expect that to be a major tailwind for us going forward. Okay, uh, one last question. You bought a ton of stock two years ago, ton of stock last year, no stock. And then you didn't raise guides. So you have to understand, I think the simple way or the simpleton way to look at Whirlpools, they like the stock higher. They don't like the stock lower. They're not buying back stock. They're not giving us a boost. But they already have a good dividend. They're worried about the dividend. And now they have a lot of debt. I mean, there it is, right? I mean, is that the simpleton version? Or is that someone who just uh, is shrewd and is seeing through uh, a lot of your strategy? Well, you know, I, I think, first of all, on dividend, we had for more than 70 years dividends. We had now 10 years in a row of dividend increases. We have right now more than 5% yield in dividends. So that's, I think, should be certainly establishing a floor in our share price. You know, on, on paying down debt, we basically said we want to bring down our long-term debt leverage to two, gross debt leverage, even though we have right now $1.4 billion of cash on hand. So we are conservative about balance sheets, and we basically want to reestablish very conservative measures on balance sheet, and that's why we're right now holding back on a share buyback. But it doesn't change the fundamental strength of our cash flow. We had very solid multiple-year cash flow. We got to another $800 million cash flow, and that will further um, allow us to put the cash to use. All right. Well, I think the first judgment of the market when your stock was higher is better than the last judgment of the market when your stock was lower. I want to thank Mark Fitzer, chairman and CEO of Whirlpool, who's doing many great things. Mark, great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Dan Lay's back here to the break. Coming up, it's a Palo Alto powwow. This company is taking on cyber threats worldwide. But can they handle Kramer? Keep it here. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, today was bad for the overall market. It was truly terrible for the cybersecurity cohort. The whole group was eviscerated thanks to the pin action from a small cybersecurity outfit called Tenable that reported a generally decent quarter, except that it lowered their four-year billings forecast, sparking fears of a slowdown in the industry. But is this a cybersecurity problem or just a Tenable problem? We know that companies are cutting their budgets everywhere, including tech spending, but does that really include cybersecurity? Are, are companies really holding back? Can they afford to? I'm not sure, but I know who to ask. Kramer Fay Palo Alto Networks, the cybersecurity chief, which is also presenting at the annual RSA conference in San Francisco this week. This is a key investment club name. So let's take a closer look with Nikesh Aurora, the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Find out more about what's happening in this industry. Mr. Aurora, welcome back to Man Money. Thank you for having me, Jim. Okay, so Nikesh, we're starting to hear from, from very smaller companies that it that there are uh, Industries, whole verticals, financial services, banking, technology, telecom, that are either slowing down their cybersecurity or saying, look, we, we've got to figure out what to do before we start spending. And yet at the same time, I've got a document from the president saying you better start doing this stuff now. And all I ever hear about it, the only area of the entire economy where spending might be going up is what you do. I'm wondering whether I'm listening to a company that is losing business and now I'm talking to a guy who's gaining business. Well, Jim, first of all, thank you for having me. As you know, I'm here at RSA today. Uh, there's a lot of excitement and buzz out on the floor. Uh, every RSA ends up with some sort of a theme. And the theme, I've been walking around listening to people, they're all excited about AI. They think the moment of AI has already arrived. Uh, you know, we've been talking in the past, you and I, about how there's a huge debt in cybersecurity that needs to be paid. And the way that debt gets paid is through more automation and more AI. Um, I listened to the, uh, you know, the national NSA director yesterday here who talked about uh, how the threats are continuing to rise, more zero-day attacks, more use of AI across new threat vectors. So I don't think the bad actors are taking a recession break. No. Um, <laughs> bad actors continue to drive uh, more and more activity. We're seeing nation-state activity. So on the adversary side, the activity is not declining. The, uh, the introduction of AI, which is has both a positive and a negative side to it. You're going to see people use AI to start creating new malware and start experimenting with ChatGPT. So I don't think we can let our guard down. I don't think this is the time to pull back and say, okay, I'm going to take a break. And when the world is looking like a better, happier, much more economically sort of bountiful place, we'll go back and start protecting ourselves again. Well, are you seeing these longer lead times, hesitation, maybe companies saying, you know what, I can hold back? 
Well, Jim, we've talked about this. The economic climate uh, through the first two quarters, which you and I have talked about, has been pretty consistent, where customers uh, are looking at what's happening to them and paying attention to see do they need to do belt tightening so they're more cautious. We've talked about, we've talked about the revenge of the CFO. They're scrutinizing deals. They're taking their time. And that trend uh, is here to stay as long as we keep going through this economically uncertain environment. But I don't think they're being... Uh, silly by saying we're not going to spend money in protecting ourselves. But at the same time, I've seen your numbers grow and grow and grow. So if that's the environment, you seem to be triumphing over the environment. I don't want to be concerned as a shareholder that it's just been uh, hard and you're, you're winning. Well, you know, Jim, we've talked about how in the moments of uncertainty, what's going to happen is you are seeing small, medium-sized businesses think about how they attribute their spending. Uh, you've seen in the past quarters, we've talked about how uh, customers want more certainty, more trustworthy names, more steady partners that are going to be evergreen, that are going to be around for a while. And that's where you see that they continue to concentrate. And that's what's been the trend first two quarters of this year for us. Do you think artificial intelligence could be a, uh, something that could make the industry uh, reaccelerate no matter what the economic climate? You know, Jim, I, I was having this conversation with our internal SOC team, and they shared some numbers that just had me flabbergasted. You know? We ingest 56 terabytes a day at Palo Alto, just for our own SOC. We get 330 million unfiltered alerts, which we hone down to 4,000 alerts. All this stuff cannot be done by humans. We have four SOC analysts who eventually, sorry, 10, who now mediate across these 4,000 alerts a month. We see 5 billion new attacks every day in, across our entire custom base, 5 billion. You cannot do that humanly. You have to do that through AI. You have to do that through automation. We find 275,000 new attacks every day. So this is, a, this is a compute problem. This is an automation problem. I think AI is going to come to the rescue. You now we all get excited about talking about chat GPT on the conversational side. And it's wonderful to write a ballot to my wife or your wife. You should write that one. And it's wonderful when you can get creative because there are many right answers. In our case, there's only one right answer. You have to find that, that attack. You have to find that threat. And you have to identify it accurately. So, the role of AI in enterprise is going to be amazing, is amazing already. I think you're going to see more and more of it, and it requires more perfection than what you see in the potentially hallucinatory chat GPT sometimes. But you know, there are models out there that allow us to, allow us to apply AI to the security as much as there are for the consumer world. Well, how can smaller companies in your industry compete with you, given what you just described? Look, Jim, uh, this is a scale problem. Uh, as you, I'm sure, uh, talk about how is conversational AI, how is generative AI going to be uh, the playground for the very large companies who have the, the wherewithal and the resources to go deploy it at scale and provide the amount of compute that's needed. I think the same, same thing happens in the enterprise world. In the enterprise world, we have to use similar models, similar amount of investment to make sure that we can find the right answer. And most importantly, you have to have lots of data. If you don't have data, if you're not a data-oriented security company, your UI company are analyzing somebody else's data. This is going to be a challenge. Now, how much does it matter what the White House said? Because I'm looking at a March document where they're saying that we will place responsibility on those within our digital ecosystem that are best positioned to reduce risk and shift the consequences of poor cybersecurity away from the most vulnerable. I mean, to me, that just says, listen, the government is going to say to companies, if you're part of an important uh, systemic risk in our country, you better spend the money. We're not waiting for whether you have it. You just better go do it. Look, Jim, I've said this to you before. 
you know, we have audit committees that are supposed to take responsibility for the financial wherewithal of a company. Soon you're going to have security committees whose job it is to make sure that the companies are secure because most of our companies are turning into part digital companies. They have customer data, they have transaction data, they have data about our faces, they have data about our locations. There's a lot of personal data that's out there in the systems of many companies. Even your e-commerce vendor has your data. Your, obviously, your social media companies have data. That data has to be held responsibly because if you don't hold that data responsibly, there is a risk that it gets hacked and bad things can happen. So the government is trying to make sure that everybody who has consumer data has a responsibility to keep, keep it safely. And they're making sure you understand your responsibility because it is no longer acceptable that I did not upgrade my infrastructure or the dog ate my homework. You have to be accountable, you have to be responsible, and that's what they're, just, they're reminding us, this is our responsibility, which, which bodes well for, I guess, companies in our sector, and also means that a lot of companies have to step up and pay attention to whether they have secure infrastructure or not. Well, to me, it's one of the best secular growth themes out there. Let me just ask you, because you know security better than anyone, should we be worried about TikTok? Our kids are all on TikTok. <laughs> uh, Look, Jim, I think it's very important that many countries around the world have shown us that our data should be held securely within our geographies. And a lot of companies have implemented that strategy because, as you can see, if there is data about everything that we do, now today, AI can recognize your face, AI can fake your voice, AI can make a video with you and me chatting. Very soon, this video will be made by AI. You and I won't have to actually do this. You might just even write the script. So, you know, if all that stuff's going to happen, you got to be very careful about all the data that's out there. And to the extent that you can make sure that data is protected, that's important. That's incumbent upon every one of us to make sure that happens and that stays the case. I like that. I like that. And that's what I'm thinking, too. That's Nikesh Aurora, Palo Alto Network's chairman and CEO. May have money's back after the break. Thank you, Nikesh. Thank you, Jim. Coming up, Giants fans, don't change the channel. Jerry Jones is all business in part two of this Texas tete-a-tete. Next. I say everything's bigger in Texas. And apparently that also includes interviews. Yesterday, I got a chance to speak with legendary Jerry Jones, billionaire oil magnate, who most importantly is the owner and general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. You know what? We didn't have enough time on air to give you everything that we saw. So we're going back. We hardly ever do this. I thought Mr. Jones had some tremendous insights, not just on how to run an NFL team, but how to run any business. By the way, how to run a life. So I want to show you the whole thing. Take a look. In your lifetime, football has become the American dream, and you have been integral to the part of the American dream, but you were resisted at times, but you never stopped. That's a part of it. Uh, I don't know why. I used to walk around before practices in school and say, why am I going out there? I want to quit. Everybody that's ever played it wants to quit. What's a quit? The point is that... It did. It really did do what the quakes said. This will prepare you for life. You will understand the difference in pain and being hurt. That's the game does that. Now, that's a little much relative to this conversation. But what it can do, it really can relate to that and does relate to it. And in my mind, that's the number one reason of its popularity. But you also understand the entertainment value. You understand Philadelphia versus Dallas, New York versus Dallas. You understand that these are, it's bigger than what's down there. It's very important. 
if you're my daddy, for me to have a team different than yours so that we can sit there and compete in our own way while we're watching the game. It's my town against your town. Now, who's going to take it this year? Now, one thing that you that you have told me, you changed TV. You got people were willing to to not make as much money from TV. The other owners didn't see the value of football. You did. Now you're seeing the value going out west, talking to Amazon, talking to Google. Are you educating them about the value of these franchises? Jim, the thing that I have seen is that there was a time when it wasn't as appreciated, uh, but potentially could lose money. Uh, uh, I Love Lucy came along way back. Most won't remember it, but it was a loss leader. People bought it even though they actually lost money to make other people buy the other parts of the programming. Everybody uh, gets that. The NFL, though, not only sold itself as a reason to be the loss leader, the networks, Rupert Murdoch and Inkind, sold to it and advanced beyond it. And they did it again, and they did it again. And they realized what a draw it was. If they wanted to show something at 12 o'clock at night, they need to be showing the NFL at three. Return on investment for anyone who affiliates with the Cowboys and NFL, good? Well, relative to, I don't even look at the return on investment. I think uh, you pay your quarterback more than I paid for the Cowboys. But the point is, seriously, I never saw that coming. I never saw it. I didn't get in it for that. I just wanted to somehow make it my loss leader early. Okay. But when I strapped it on and when I walked out there, there was no joy in Mudville if you're losing your proverbial. There's no joy. And so you thought of things that might help it be more workable, help some dollars coming in rather than all going out. You'll have a better game. So you brought you you realized value. You realize value of names. You realize value of affiliations. Most people didn't see that. It turns out that everybody who's been affiliated and partners are still pretty much still with you because they've done well along with you. Well, I hope so. Uh, I do. When I say that, I hope so. But more important than anything, I hope they can feel my, my passion. Uh, uh, it is not for the dollar. I had some dollars, uh, but luckily, and I spent it all plus some to buy the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not here, but when you got here, in order to be the very best you could be as a sport, as a league, as a team, you needed to have financial viability. You can't be what you want to be as a family, a city, a town, if you don't have a little money in your pocket. Then you might be a star. But you're willing to yeah. tolerate, you accept that you have to have mistakes to be great. And that part of leadership is overcoming the mistakes. Well, if you can't get up or if you don't know how to swim, you can't get thrown off the boat. And that's the old riverboat gambler in you. So you got to be able to swim if you're going to dare get thrown off. All right. Now, right now, a couple days before the draft, will you win the Super Bowl this year? That's a great question. Uh, I'm going to mealy mouth that real good. Okay, real good. With this team. With this team, we got a chance. All right, that's what matters. And anything that you're looking for in the draft, will you speak to management about who you think is right first round, second round, third round? Management is me. <laughs> and picture, picture, so if you, <laughs> picture, if you will, uh, our organization. And the organization is continually bringing forward information. Right. 
Right, right. Picture right. me with a, 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 a something over my head and my head on the table, and I'm listening and working in there, and they're feeding me information. Well, you need a helmet. To and do then that. when we come out with it, that's our pick. Now the facts are, everybody thinks they did, and everybody really does have input in that decision. But ultimately, I make the decision on who we play. Okay, when, who, look, who, we all knew we you as a bad boy. I'm hearing a humble man who wants other people to do well. Is that an evolution of you, or did we all have the misperception when you got in? Well, I know this, that uh, if you're willing to give others the credit, you can probably conquer, the, you can probably conquer it uh, on one hand. On the other thing, anybody that knows football knows how incremental team, T-E-A-M, it truly, the more people you have out there, the less one man makes a difference. And that's even exacerbated by the structures there are today. It is a team thing. I've actually got my tongue in my cheek when I'm saying I make the call. Right. I'm no, a product of a consensus. I, I've been impressed, but I, I never thought I would see a humble Mr. Jerry Jones, but that's <laughs> what you are and were, and that's a great, it's been a great honor to be able to spend this time with you. Jerry Jones, owner, president, and GM, Dallas Cowboys. Jim, big day for the Cowboys. Good to have you. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dice over the lightning round. Let's start with Michael in Ohio. Michael. Jim, I am looking for some small cap growth. What can you tell me about Hudson Technology? Wow, that's really small cap, but it does make money, okay? This is in that, uh, what I regard as being that, uh, how do you put it? HVAC, there's like a broad rubric, but I've got to tell you, I want to hear what Carrier says about the industry, and they're going to be talking tomorrow about it, and then I can make a better decision on Hudson Technologies. Adam in Florida, Adam. Booyah, Jim, it's Adam from Miami Beach. Oh, man, love it. What's going on? Jim, is it time to go big with Big Lot? People have been telling me to go big with Big Lot since it was at 60, 50, 40, 30. Do I hear 10? Do I? No, I don't want to be it. There's so many quality retailers that are one for sale right now. You need to be in one of those. Let's go to Jamie in Michigan. Jamie. Booyah, Jim from Motor City. All right, what's going on there? Okay, let's do Let's go to work. DKTX, Lightning Therapeutic. Okay, that's a clinical stage. It's a clinical stage tech uh, biotech. On the clinical stages, I always say, let's go do some more work. We're not going to make a judgment here. It's too dicey for me to just say, yeah, go buy. Let's go to David in Michigan. David. We are Professor Kramer. What's going on, Thanks David? Thanks for your help over the years, and congrats oh on your anniversary, the 18th. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've been hanging out. Yeah, some people think we're like the, you know, the circulatory system of the uh, company. What's going on? Well, considering its balance sheet, um, it's run up over the last week, and a price of $55 with a $115 one-year projection, and two years left at its uh, current burn rate. Do you think Piedmont Lithium PLL is a buy? I have to tell you, after listening to Elon Musk over and over again saying, listen, he wants more companies to go in this business, I am worried that he will stir up competition himself. So I'm going to say, no, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Let's go to Paul, Wisconsin. Paul. 
Jim, first time caller from MKE. We know that content is king, but connection is cash money. Let's talk Altice USA. No, let's well not. Made. We're not going to talk about anything involved in that particular industry uh, I, I, because it's just uh, it, it, the balance sheet has to be good and it isn't. And that's what matters in this industry. I, I'm talking about media and cable. Let's go to Brenda in North Carolina. Brenda. Hey, Jim. This is the Carolina girl from North Carolina. All right. I'm ready for you. What's going on? Thank you for yeah. Thank you for letting me be on your show tonight. Uh, My pleasure. Good time to buy this, buy for a long term. Okay, it's incredible how well Corey Barry is doing, but it's also incredible how the money's all being spent on services, on travel and leisure. We heard that from the great Jim Fitterling from Dow this very morning. So I'm going to have to say, even though it's a 5% yield, it could go to a 6% yield, and only then will I pull the trigger because I just see that money going out travel and leisure and not on hard goods. I need Jack in Colorado. Jack. Hey, Jimbo. Yo, yo. Got a question for you. Sure. Lithium America in the next year, where do you see it? Well, again, I mean, these lithium stocks, I, I just I keep coming back to what the great Elon Musk says, that he's going to there's going to be a way to get around lithium because he doesn't like the pricing. I'm not getting I'm not messing with him. I'm, we have to have Elon Musk and Jerry Jones together, although when I brought him up, it seemed a little circumspect. Let's go to Tim in Texas. Tim. Hey, hey, how you doing, Jim? I work for a, an HCA healthcare hospital in Dallas, taking okay. advantage of the 10 percent discount. Should I increase monthly purchases through their stock program? or remain- Yes, yes. It had a great quarter, and you're lucky the market's taking it down, but it had an amazing quarter. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, there's no free lunch, but Kramer's handing out wisdom with no extra charge. When that money returns... rain today, thanks to, as I said at the top of the show, First Republic Bank, which lost $72 billion in deposits amid the regional banking crisis, sending its stock plummeting nearly 50%. The negative pin action, as we know, spread through the market like a grim reaper scything just everything in its path. But First Republic's woes couldn't touch PepsiCo. They couldn't scalp General Mills or lay a club to Kimberly Clark. Now, maybe you think their strength is obvious. These are safety stocks, exactly what investors run to in times of turmoil, especially turmoil caused by a financial chaos. Just one of those regional banks again. You know what I mean? Mayhem. That's certainly true. On days like today, you'll always see some recession-proof stocks hanging in there just fine. But it's not the whole story, because these stocks didn't just hang in there. They climbed higher and higher on a truly miserable day. I think PepsiCo, General Mills, and Kimberly Clark are stocks you have to put away, at least in your mind, waiting for the moment when they actually come in. And they will come in because stocks always do in this tape. What makes these so special? Let me count the ways. First, they didn't just beat the earnings estimates. They sent the estimates to the emergency room. They did so by raising prices, sometimes dramatically. And these price increases stuck because their brands are unassailable. There was no resistance to Doritos, despite the price increases, making PepsiCo a rare bird. The snackers haven't, have spoken, and they can't live without this stuff, even as they probably live longer if they cut out the corn chips. General Mills cashed in on two big themes. 
with its emphasis on blue buffalo pet food, the humanization of pets, and the premiumization of everything. There's no resistance to higher spending on pets. It's an amazing and enduring theme as people want their cats and dogs to live longer. As for Kimberly Clark, no one wants to skip. We want our Kleenex, no matter the price, which is why it always pays to buy this stock into weakness. And there's a lot of weakness at times, and it's worth buying. Hey, why don't I just throw in Procter & Gamble's honorable mention here? Because even though its stock only gave up its initial gains today and finished flat, there's still a lot to offer. Even if the stock gained more than 3% Friday after a great quarter, I think there could be more upside after those great numbers from last week. This is a terrific charitable trust name. We talked about it at today's club call. Procter can seemingly do no wrong when it comes to grooming, personal care, and health care. Tide and Gillette can raise prices and the consumer doesn't blanch. Oral-B and Crest took market share with higher prices. Pepto-Bismol, monster numbers. Now, the second thing that sets these stocks apart is that their tremendous sales will transfer into bountiful earnings because that last round of price increases wasn't about recouping expenses. It was purely about making money. In fact, many of the raw costs, especially chemicals, have started to come down. They're rolling over right now. You might think they'd pass those savings on to you, the consumer. Mm, but no most, oh, these guys, that, no, that's not their style. Nobody cuts prices in this group unless their customers give them no choice. And that's not the case with these titans with tremendous brand equity. So as more and more raw costs come down, paper, plastic, freight, the margins will expand, leading to even higher earnings. Third. These are companies that have leverage that comes from endlessly culling their expenses. They're seasoned players who know how to use technology to save money while bringing more customers. Finally, and best of all, I love the fact that Pepsi, General Mills, Kimberly, Clark, Procter have basically no meaningful foreign competition, at least not on a global scale. There's no Chinese knockoff competing on price, no Japanese improvement competing on quality. You won't go into a powder room in this country and see Chinese tissues you don't save with Japanese razors, do you? I don't. In fact, when Chinese companies tried to muscle into pet food, they failed miserably because these brands are just too iconic. Companies don't just love these products, and consumers don't just love these products. They're practically addicted to them. The analysts underestimate that, that love, and they underestimate it at their own peril. I know people are supposed to trade down to cheaper knockoffs and to slow down, but it's just not happening. Not for the best of the breed. These companies have spent years ensuring they have the highest quality, most beloved brands. Now it's all paying off for you, the shareholders. Loyal to these amazing and triumphant companies. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise I'll find just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 